Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Violent End to a Dynasty. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. So I'm a real Russian history head. If you know me, you know that about me. And this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. So today... I would like to introduce you. I would like to take you back to Russia. I'm you ready, ready to Are go. You ready? Well, my 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 wife and my in-laws speak Russian, so mm-hmm. I feel like so I've, she's going to not fact check me on this, right? Uh, yeah, she when you when she hears people speak Russian, like in, in movies, and mm-hmm. she she can tell when it's a good Russian accent. She can mm-hmm. tell when it's. Mm-hmm being phoned in so she doesn't listen to this podcast why why would oh, she good 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 <laughs> phew there's other options out there <laughs> sorry Michelle. but not for you that are listening this is your no, only option this is it walk towards the light yes. of patreon <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're going to talk about today one of my favorite parts in all of history the Ipatiev house which is also known as the house of special purpose why because it is where the romanovs the last czars of russia were horrifyingly executed. Shall we? (laughs) I know very little about this. Mm -hmm. It's just vaguely familiar, so I'm pretty pretty excited about this one myself. This is going to be pretty pretty fun. But yeah, should we check in with each other or do we have any emails? We'll we'll check we'll check in uh, oh, later. Right, later. We'll check later. in we'll check in later. Yeah, that's let's get to it. now I'm excited. Okay, great. So, it was first it's this giant mansion in the Russian countryside owned it was called the Ipatiev House in 1918 in the 1880s Ivan Redkortsev and I'm so happy your your wife is not listening to this podcast whoa an official involved in the mining industry commissioned a two-story house to be built on the slope of a prominent hill in 1898 the mansion passed on to Sharivev a gold dealer of bad reputation 10 years later the house was acquired by Nikolai Nikolaevich Ipatiev a military engineer who turned the ground floor into his office. And this is where, on this information supplied by Peter Voikov, that Ipatel kind of gave the house to the military at that point, and the Bolsheviks were taking power. 
So at the end of April 1918, he was ordered to vacate, and it became the House of Special Purpose, the place where the Romanovs lived with their children and and died with their children, too. It's a really interesting and sad story. Actually, it's like you can't even make it up. It's so romantic and violent and keep wanting to say cool. It's not cool. It's not cool, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating because it's like, we're going to talk a little about the Romanovs themselves who have this like very patchy history in general. So the dynasty has been around since the 1500s. It started with Ivan the Terrible. And there was this kind of big feud between the Romanovs and then his brother-in-law, Boris Godunov. And they kind of keep going back and forth in exchanging power and changing things and changing rules too, to make sure that the other person wouldn't be in power. And it also all depended, too, on where the country was at this point, because the country of Russia has been very unstable for a very, very long time, even before the Romanovs kind of took power. So uh, Fyodor Romanov and his brother-in-law kind of ruled peacefully, but then Fyodor died childless. And so Gudinov was elected in 1599, and he essentially like drove the country into famine. So then the family's leader was exiled and went to a monastery. So it's like when you're exiled in Russia, you just go to a monastery and kind of like chill for a while. But so he took this other name called Filaret and the Romanov's fortunes again changed dramatically with the fall of the Gudunov dynasty in June 1605. And as a former leader of the anti-Gudunov party and cousin of the last legitimate czar, Filaret, the guy in the monastery, was sought by several imposters who attempted to kind of take the throne. Now his son, Mikhail Romanov, was then living in the dynasty. He was sixteen year old. He was a sixteen year old, like very shy, awkward boy, and he was offered the crown again. While all this was happening, the country was still starving to death, apparently. And apparently, when he was offered the czardom, he burst into tears and had like a freak out and like went back to the mon- <laughs> to the monastery. Then eventually, he was persuaded to accept the throne by his mother, who blessed him with the holy image of Our Lady Saint Theodore. But it was still really insecure, so he kind of did a good thing and made peace with the Gudinovs. And also, like, he was one of the first czars to, like, actually listen to the people. So, like, shit was okay. So then he was succeeded by his only son, Alexei, who steered the country through a lot of troubles. Again, a really strong emperor. He expanded the czardom, and he was known as Peter the Great, who was a really important figure. So then we went back to a line of Ivans, and then we went to Catherine the Great, who was also a big... Very important, powerful leader. The horse, the horse shit is not true. Apparently. I know it's not, but that's yeah, that's yeah. The same. She's one, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, actually. she had sex. She's rumored to have. Ha- she was actually a great equestrian. I think that's where this started. Yeah. The rumor is she had sex with a horse. I don't know why. Like I don't know what the context was, or just like trying to be sexy and whatever. Sexy, uh, provocative. Provocative, exactly. But yeah, she was a, an equestrian, I guess. And who knows? Actually, if you know. Contact us if you're uh, some kind. Of, if you're a Romanov descendant, not Anastasia, we know you're fake. Then please contact us to tell us the Catherine the Great story. Hmm? No one will. No one's going to contact us. <laughs> no. Okay. So her son succeeded his mother, and he was a great grandson of Peter the Great. Although he was like kind of sketchy and very religious too. Religion is also going to play a part in this, in like just not being able to modernize like anything. And that was part of the Romanov's great downfall. So Paul was murdered in his palace in St. Petersburg in 1801. Alexander succeeded him on the throne and later died without having a son. His brother, Nicholas I, succeeded him on the throne. 
And that was not smooth. Hundreds of troops took the oath of allegiance to Nicholas's elder brother, Constantine, who unbeknownst to them had renounced his claim to the throne in 1822. So the country, again, was fractured after being built up again and again. Alexander II, son of Nicholas I, became the Russian emperor in 1855 in the middle of the Crimean War. He considered it his charge to maintain peace in Europe and Asia, but he believed that only like a strong military presence could keep the peace. So he's the one that really built up the military, where we'll get to the end of the Romanovs kind of breaking it down. So then Alexander I had this son, and his oldest son, Nicholas, and he became emperor, sorry, Alexander III became emperor, everyone's like, nah, uh, upon his death. And Nicholas repeatedly said, I'm not ready to be Tsar, just weeks after the funeral, and he married his fiance Alex of Hesterndant, who was a favorite grandchild of Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom. Now, their love story is like one of the ages, too, because she was an unpopular. She was crazy religious, which is going to play into like some Rasputin shit later. He was really shy again, like didn't like kind of revered his dad, who was a strong leader. But he kind of dated a couple of ballerinas. Couldn't do that because he was supposed to be the czar. And then he met Alex and she was. Yeah, she was just not. She's very not personable like his his parents were, but he fell in love with her. And he, they were two of the only rulers in Europe at that time that would share a bedroom, too. So they were like very much in love. They were very interested in keeping the country going. And then he kind of freaked out, too, because he thought that he had to continue Russia the way that his dad did, which was a different time. But Russia was modernizing very quickly, which will ultimately be his downfall. But he was like, no, I'm going to do exactly what my dad wanted to do. I'm going to make Russia great again. Huh? Are we getting political here? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) So she was, uh, she took the name, sorry, Alex of Hesterm took the name Alexandra Fyrdenova. She was really religious when she, growing up, but then she converted to orthodoxy and was really paranoid about it, like that she wasn't accepted, which she actually like, that was legitimate. Like nobody really liked her. She was the mother mother to their five children and avoided many of the social duties that were traditional for Russia's Tsarinas, which is like highly social stuff. She was kind of severe and distant. And she, yeah, she just like wasn't really into any of it. So we've got this guy, we've got this czar, right, who had this queen and they were both like not strong leaders. They were in over their heads, as some would say. And also upon the coronation of Nicholas, he dropped his this kind of jeweled like neck like breastplate, which everyone was like, "Oh shit, that is not a good sign." Which is interesting. So he like picked it up and kept on getting coronated or whatever. But that was one of the first things they were like, "Ugh, this dynasty is not in for a fun time." And then they had this big party at their coronation, and they didn't have enough food and they didn't have enough uh, places for people to stand and sit. So people were just like getting trampled. There was also like a mudslide and it was very cold. So people were just like dying at their coronation party. And uh, about 1,500 people died. And then another 1,500 got pretty badly wounded. And then they went to another party for the coronation afterwards. So starting off, not on a good... No food? There yeah. wasn't enough food? There wasn't enough food. When I show up at play, the first thing I look for is food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's, I know. I stopped listening at not enough food. Exactly, exactly. like, Rebecca, why did you take me here? I know, I know. It's a horrible place. We'll never go there again. Yes. <laughs> so in September 1915, Nicholas took command of the army 
and the front lines during World War I um, because he thought that he had to exert himself as an authority figure. Alexander sought to influence him and took a very authoritarian approach to government affairs, which she managed while he was gone in the war. And they were not, the army was not doing well. Things were not going well. So his well-known devotion to her injured both his and the dynasty's reputation during World War I. Due to both her German origin, again, conflict of interest, and her unique relationship with Rasputin, who was there, he was a monk who was supposed to have magical powers and could read minds, and he was known in court as being this, like, insane warlock guy. He, what he really was, was a man from Siberia who liked to have orgies. And you couldn't and, kill him, right? Yeah, he, <laughs> true. That, that is his big claim to yeah. fame, kind of. He did get stabbed a bunch of times, and he eventually died. But yeah, he would avoid death. Uh, he was tried to, he was poisoned, and that didn't work. There were a lot of different ways that people were trying to kill him because he was such a big influence on Alexandra. And he, she trusted him because she thought that he could cure her youngest son's hemophilia because she was a carrier of hemophilia. He couldn't do that. But there were these like weird serendipitous events, like when her son got really sick, they sent Rasputin away because nobody trusted him really, except for her. So they sent him away and her son got sick. And then like he sent a telegram and her son got better. So she always thought that he was some kind of secret weapon against her son. He was like some kind of Rasputin type. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, I would say that. Okay, I would wait, say that. Huh. Yeah, exactly. So he eventually came back, but then he was eventually killed. But she wanted to keep her youngest son alive because he was the only son and very sickly and essentially was like the great hope of the dynasty. So things were not going great. So Alexei, the son with hemophilia, inherited the disease. He He suffered agonizing bouts of bleeding, and it was so painful for everybody. It was really hard, and the country was crumbling. Nicholas and Alexander had four daughters, the Grand Duchesses Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia. So they moved to the House of Special Purpose after he was dethroned on April 30th, 1918, and spent 78 days at the house. So it was it was the five of them living in this like very nice house, along with their court physician, their chambermaid, their cook, their valet. So like pretty okay. Like they're doing okay. They occupied four rooms in the upper story of the house while the guards were housed on the ground floor. From early July, command of the guard was taken over by Yakov Yurovsky, a senior member of the Soviet party. And generally, like, everyone got along. In fact, there was even some flirtation between the older daughters and these, like, young, hot soldiers there. Especially uh, Maria was supposed to be, like, very flirtatious with them. They were permitted brief daily exercise in an enclosed garden, but the windows to the rooms were painted over and they were kept in isolation from the outside. A high wooden fence was built around the outer perimeter of the house, closing it off from the street. About midnight on the 16th into the 17th of July, 1918, Commander Yurovsky entered the second floor room of the doctor who was awake and writing a letter. He was told to awaken the Imperial family and their three remaining servants. The whole party could be evacuated. And that's what they were kind of waiting for during all this. They were waiting to be taken to a different part of Europe and like live their life peacefully so they could hopefully take the throne back again. That was not going to happen. And the Bolshevik Revolution was so, like, take no prisoners, brutalist about it, which they should have been, because the opulence of this, all of these czars was insane. Like, they had so much wealth. They obviously didn't really give a shit about the people. They just liked being in charge. So they were told that they were going to get evacuated. And that they, after taking an hour and a half to dress and pack, which is also, like, very cruel, the Romanovs, the doctor, and the three servants were led down the flight of stairs into the courtyard of the house through a ground floor entrance to a small semi-basement room at the back of the building. Chairs were brought for Alexei 
and Alexandra at the czar's request. So like this little bit of dignity left. So they're in this ground floor basementy type of a room sitting there. They have all of their stuff packed on them. And in fact, the daughters, they, they had so much wealth. The uh, Alexandra told her daughters to put jewels from the castle inside of their clothes. So they had sewn all of these like amazing jewels in their um, dresses and petticoats. So they were all like packed up, ready to get out of there. After a while, Yurovsky and a party of armed men entered the basement through the double doors. Ivan Plotkinov, a history professor at the Maxim Gorky Ural Strait University, established that 10 people executed the family. Three people were there too, and they at the last minute refused to do it. So the Romanovs had attempted, some of their relatives had attempted to save them, but it was, that is what triggered them being killed. So that was what triggered them where they're like, we can't let these people go. We have to like make a statement about killing these people because we can't have other royal fucking people around trying to save them or thinking that they're in power anymore because they are not. So he and his squad then opened fire with pistols on the prisoners. The number of people crowded into a comparatively small area led to an inefficient and messy slaughter. The woman had, again, the diamonds and jewelry concealed in their clothing, which deflected their bullets and made them die really slowly. So they like... They died a very long, slow, painful death because of like the ego of having these jewels, which is pretty interesting. It took between 20 and 30 minutes before everyone was actually dead. So everyone was just like bleeding out in this tiny room. Children, like a, a, an eight-year-old boy all the way to grown adult people. So there was a church built on the spot where the house stood, where it kind of became converted into a church. As early as 1923, the photographs of the fenced house were disseminated into the Soviet press under the label of the last place of the last czar. In 1927, the house was designated as a branch of the Revolution Museum that became an agricultural school, weird, before taking on a new life in 1938 as an anti-religious museum. During this period, it was customary for party uh, parties to arrive in large tour groups and to hang out in the cellar where everyone died. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. A couple of things before mm-hmm. we get into this, get back into this uh very, very, very historic, very Russian. Yeah. Spasiba. I don't know if that means, because it's one oh. of the words I know. Is, yeah, I, I think it means like, thank you, or no, that does Fidania. Yeah, spasiba, I know is something that they mm-hmm. say a lot. So before we get back to whatever that word means, yeah. I'm a bad, I'm a bad son-in-law. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad Russian, I guess, is Whoa. what I'm trying to say. Wow. But what I'm really good at is mentioning patreon.com slash ghost town pod. You are. You're much better at that than I'm I am. I'm very, very I'm fluent <laughs> in Patreon. Yeah. Patreonese. I got an email from Mike from Riverside. Oh. Loves the show. Amazing. He made some suggestions because he's he's like somewhat local. Uh-huh. And he he, he really he, he likes the kind of Southern California stuff we get into. Yeah. He made a suggestion. And I know this is gonna be all right up your alley. Greystone Mansion? Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. One, the bombing of the LA Times building. Hell yeah. See, this is right up your alley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell you. me more. Let me mention mm-hmm. one more. This is a little bit out of it, is Autoland that was mentioned mm-hmm. in Michael Moore's 
movie that it's it's the name is escaping me or one of his shows or whatever but he, mm-hmm. he suggested those one of them is going to be patreon.com slash ghost town pod it's gonna be spooky you'll have to figure out which one it is yeah option a b or c see, it's it's definitely you it's have one to of those. give us money to find out yeah that yeah but there's there's probably gonna be 20 something bonus episodes there for two dollars a month and our new limited patreon will be out probably by friday which is our friday like mini episodes Fry- which Yay. is yeah friday so we have a if you're like oh, i hope they put out another episode this week hope oh, that too yeah new patreon new friday episode you can always message us on instagram ghost town pod yeah and we also if you just want to like be like oh i want to tip these guys like 50 cents or a dollar you know what i mean yeah these guys these deserve it if we saw if they looked at us directly they'd be feel more guilt guilted into doing it but since mm-hmm. you can't see us but you can go to paypal dot me slash ghost town pod mm-hmm. i believe yeah we should put out. that up somewhere maybe yeah we will we will because yeah. we want your money yeah we want to i'm gonna i want i want to put your money yeah. in my petticoat <laughs> so when i get executed it goes and you will slowly and i you, will and you it's will it's coming it's and coming you will. definitely this yeah, this rain is short, let's just say. Okay. And underwhelming. <laughs> well, let's let's get into one that's whelming. Okay, okay, yeah. So we are back. We are back to the house of special purpose. And oh boy, lots of purposes. Most importantly, it's a very cool executing, name, by the way. I know it's creepy, right? Yeah. It's like ominous, pretty metal. Um, most important purpose, uh, the end of the Romanov family, but all of these other things too, right? It was a church, it was a museum, it was a kind of a tourist trap almost in 1946 it was taken over by the local communist party in 1974 it was formally listed as a historical revolutionary monument however to the embarrassment of the government it was steadily becoming a place of pilgrimage for those who wish to honor the memory of the imperial family again it's like the it's so interesting how the imperial family never really did anything for a lot of people especially this family people love i went i you know i've been to you know went to london a couple of times Mm -hmm. and like I, the, the the concept of royal family is not like it's not interesting to me mm-hmm. per se. Like I don't understand. I mean, I guess I understand culturally yeah. the interest in it. But you know, people you know telling me, and I'm sure in any place that has like a lineage of family, it's like a very uh, just. It's always like embroiled in some kind of interest and drama and, yeah. and pomp and circumstance. So I I, I get it that mm-hmm. people get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's just like below. I think the closest thing that we have, I mean, we have like celebrity, but is the British royal family and how. Well, maybe the Kennedys. Yeah. In a way, right? Yeah, but not as much anymore, yeah. really. I think they were, yeah, in the 60s for sure. But there's this like, I think about how we think about like Prince Harry and all that shit and how like we're even into It's not even our, not even our rulers. Yeah. And we're into that shit. So like the Russian people and their their intrigue in royalty and wealth and it's very ambitious that makes sense but it's it's weird how they couldn't really do anything to change that or stop it in 1977 as the 60th anniversary of the russian revolution approached the political the the parties started to take action declaring that the house was not of sufficient historical significance and it got demolished and Boris Yeltsin, who was the chair of the local party, had the house demolished in September 1977. He later wrote in his memoirs published in 1990 that the sooner or later we will be ashamed of this piece of barbarism. However, despite this action, the pilgrims kept coming, often in secret at night, leaving tokens of remembrance for the royal family. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the Church on the Blood was built on the site and now is still a place of pr- pilgrimage. 
Yeah, I guess it's so strong that you mm-hmm. you know you could tear down ten buildings and people are and, and like, I, I'm not into celebrating, uh, you know, barbarism, but mm-hmm. I, I do understand like the keeping of a structure yeah. for historical purposes. Uh, kind of heartbreaking to hear. That yeah. Thing. Also, they were they didn't need to kill. I mean, they could have just killed Nicholas and Alexandra. They didn't like kill. Like it's so it's interesting this this intersection of like this brutality to make a point and this opulence and frivolity. And that's definitely where this family stands. So there's this rumor though, because they were all buried in this kind of shallow grave. Nobody knew for a very long time where that was that Anastasia, who was the youngest daughter had escaped. Um, Persistent rumors after her death fueled by the fact the location of her burial was unknown during decades of communist rule Several women falsely claimed to have been Anastasia. The best-known imposter is Anna Anderson. In 1920, Anderson was institutionalized in a mental, mental hospital after a suicide attempt in Berlin. At first, she went by the name Fraulein Unbekannt, German for Miss Unknown. Very cool. I'll uh-huh. tell you what this episode has. <laughs> Every name is cool. Every name is cool. Yeah. If I can pronounce it correctly. Yeah. Even if, incorrectly, it's still cool. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. You can't even, you can't even screw this up. It's so cool. Well, watch me. Okay. <laughs> so she refused to reveal her identity. Later, she used the name Tchaikovsky and then Anderson in March 1922 claims that Anderson was a Russian Grand Duchess first received public attention. Most members of the Grand Duchess Anastasia's family and those who had known her, including her court tutor, said Anderson was an imposter, but others were convinced that she was Anastasia. In 1927, a private investigation funded by the Serena's brother, Ernest Lewis, Grand Duke of Hesse, identified Anderson as Franziska Shankskowska, a Polish factory worker with a history of mental illness. After a lawsuit lasting, lasting many years, the German courts ruled that Anderson had failed to prove that she was Anastasia, but through media coverage, her claim gained notoriety. And actually, we'll put one of the clips of her interviews when she was very old, because she ca- she maintained this until her death. Well, I mean, you know, maybe you tell yourself something for so long mm-hmm. that you think, I, I think I've done that. I feel like I've said something, not obviously of this, of this magnitude, mm-hmm. um, but that, you know, I was like, is it, I said, it's so, I've said this lie so many times. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. So it makes it, I mean, the, it, it, I, the I think, is it true? I believe that, you know, she thinks it's true. Yes. Yes. And I think, yeah, at a certain point, almost like when we talked about the alien abduction yeah. a couple episodes ago, how you just become this experience almost, and it defines you. Between 1922 and 1968, Anderson lived in Germany and the United States with various supporters and in nursing homes and sanitariums and one asylum. She emigrated to the United States in 1968. Shortly before the expiration of her visa, she married a history professor, uh, Jack Manahan, who was later characterized as probably Charlottesville's best love eccentric. Just two crazy teenagers in love, you know? She died in 1984 and her body was cremated, her ashes buried at a churchyard back in Germany. So after the collapse of communism and Soviet Union, we got some we got some answers, you know, so we're going to skip back there. The locations of the bodies of the Tsar, Tsarina, and all five of their children were revealed. There was an abandoned mine serving as a mass grave near Yekaterinburg, which held the acidified remains of the Tsar, his wife, and three of their daughters. And that was finalized and told to the public in 1991. The bodies of Alexei and Anastasia or her other sister Maria, I think, think they found that it was Anastasia, were discovered in 2007. Again, pretty recent, honestly. Those remains were later put to rest at the Peter and Paul Fortresses popular and beautiful church. 
So she didn't survive. There is no surviving. I mean, this mysterious. is a TV show that's there out, is. right? That is saying that this kind, ha- kind yeah, of happened. Like I've, I've not seen flash it. Flash sideways type. Exactly. So the DNA testing, which is important part of stuff like this because it really shows that something is true or not, showed that they know exactly everyone in the Imperial family died. They know where their remains were. There is no mystery. They were all killed in 1918. Unless you believe Case. conspiracy. Unless you believe oh, conspiracy. that's rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.